Welcome to the Emboldened Podcast. My name is Marquise Francis. And I'm Naima Abdullahi. Emboldened's mission and vision is to bring the Emma Bowen Foundation community together. So that means you. By giving listeners exclusive access to trailblazers and influential decision makers in the media industry. This is our second episode of the second season of the Emboldened Podcast. And our guest today is none other than Delia McGee, Senior Business Analyst at Peacock for NBC Universal. And prior to that, she spent five years at HBO, but you all know her as leading the Emma Bowen Alumni Foundation. Delia, thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. And our first question is, you are very involved in the foundation while you also juggle your work life and your personal life as well. Tell us about all you currently do with the foundation. Oh man, do we have that much time? Yeah, so as Marquise mentioned, I'm president of the Alumni Association. I've held that role for the last going on, I guess, six years now, which is crazy time flies. I'm also on a couple of the board committees. So I'm a board member. I'm also on our standing technology committee and governance committee. And then we have a couple of ad hoc committees that I've participated in throughout the years. And then also just helping with planning conference, obviously supporting the alumni initiatives, this podcast and anything else. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty much having a second job of (laughs) working on all things EBF. (laughs) Absolutely. And obviously, for whatever reason, you feel like it's important to pay it forward. Why do you stay committed to EBF? And obviously, we're all here because we care so much about what EBF has done for us and realizing that hopefully for the next generation. But for you, why have you been around for six years? Because that's, I mean, that's longer than I've been at any of my jobs, longer than I've been in college. It's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple of ways to answer that. I'll start with just our current CEO said something years and years ago that always stuck with me. Nikki will always say, lift as you climb. And I think that when I heard that, it reminded me so much about my Emma Bowen experience. So the alum that had been previously at HBO, who, who also had HBO as their corporate sponsor, came and mentored me through my years. And so that started me kind of trying to mentor the students that came after me that were interning at HBO. And then when I was working there full time, it became, okay, well, how do we transition our interns to full time as I have. And and then, you know, when it came to the Alumni Association, a lot of what I see is, you know, we have mentorship programs and people looking for jobs. And so I just feel that everybody's always trying to help each other. And I'm I've been blessed to be in a position where I could do this work while also keeping my day job. And so I've been happy that you guys have, you guys being the alumni, right, have trusted me to even take this on. But also I I don't feel that anyone is slacking. We're all helping each other in some way, whether it's a job referral or calling someone up and just saying, congratulations, I saw you on TV this morning. So I just, I think we're all lifting each other as we all collectively climb, which is really important. Absolutely. And the reality is, it's not easy, like cultivating this alumni base, right? And doing it is crazy over half a decade. I'm just curious, what kind of challenges and what kind of triumphs have you seen? Because anytime getting any group of people who are actually no longer in a program to still volunteer their time, resources, and energy, it takes a lot of 
handholding in a sense, but I know you've been able to do it in pretty seamless. So what does that process actually look like for you? <laughs> well, I'm glad it looks seamless. <laughs> Start there. I, I say this a lot. I can get someone to do one thing one time pretty easily. You know, if I can call on an alum and say, hey, I need you to sit on this panel or, hey, I need you to talk to this student, that happens without, without question. The challenges really come when I'm asking for someone to do something over a period of time or consistently because everybody has obligations. And so in trying to put together committees or trying to put together events that are recurring, it becomes the challenge of attendance and people having the time to attend a meeting and people having the time to follow up an email. So I'm grateful that we kind of implemented elections because then people really got to opt into committing to that type of work. But I, I think the consistency is, has been the hardest thing. You think of your alma mater where you went to college, maybe pay your alumni association dues, maybe you don't. <laughs> but you know, you pick and choose the things that you, that you want to opt into. And so you might go to homecoming every few years, but it may not be consistent and it might be a one-off. And so that's kind of how it is with this. And luckily, I've been fortunate enough to meet so many alums so I can kind of file in my brain when I need something, I know who I can call. And that happens much more frequently the process is like someone on the staff or the alum or someone will say, hey, we need someone for this. And I can pull from my mental Rolodex and say, okay, I got these three people who will probably be able to do it. Or these three people work in this industry or for this company. But it, it's definitely a consistency thing, I think, long term. I love everything you just said about prioritization is a big part of how you're able to juggle everything for alums who have had the idea of wanting to get involved, but don't know how, don't know how to balance everything they have going on with possibly adding the role of really being an ambassador for the foundation. What tips do you have for people and for thousands of alums for the Emma Bowen Foundation on how they can really be part of the community, stay engaged, stay involved, and not feel like they have 10 million things going on at once? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few ways, right? The first way is always to talk about Emma Bowen and let it become part of your story. A lot of us Maybe you put it on your resume, maybe you don't, maybe it's in your cover letter or it's evident on your LinkedIn, but I, I bring it up all the time. You know, we're talking about hiring, especially now with changing hiring practices to be more inclusive and just looking at how we're doing things in the workspace. I'm constantly talking about my experience with Emma Bowen, the exposure that I had through the organization. I think also just checking in. I think Checking in literally could mean checking the Instagram and seeing what everyone's doing because we're all we're all movers and shakers, honestly. You can look at any of our, not just resumes, but even what have we done the past few months. Everyone's doing something, changing jobs, creating a seat at the table. And so I think just kind of checking in. And then of course, there's always reaching out. I'm always happy to answer questions and emails and, you know, Slacks. We have a Slack, uh, a Slack instance if you're not in there. But, you know, I'm always happy to kind of let you guys know what we need because there's always going to be something. Absolutely. And I'm curious, what has been the most rewarding part of being both a part of the industry and the foundation? And I say that because I know for me personally, it was a point where I was like kind of known as Mr. NBC, right? Because to Emma Bowen, I interned at NBC. My first three years post-college was NBC. And leaving that, it was somewhat of a like leaving a part of me. And I and from my perspective, at least, you were Miss HBO. I, I just knew you you spent five years there, right? So that was a long time and, and you have now transitioned over to Peacock. So just curious, what has been the most rewarding part of kind of being able to 
be a part of both. And then even just to that vein, how did you know it was time to move on from where you started from? Yeah. So I guess I'll start with HBO. I had interned there for four years, ended up getting hired into one of the teams that I had interned with. So I spent nine years around a lot of the same people and while also getting quite a varied experience. And then I I also thought that I was a lifer at HBO. I don't know if you felt that way about NBC, but I didn't think I was going to leave. And when the merger and and things started happening with AT&T and Warner Media, that kind of changed my perspective on my career. And Miss Rice, as we all know, is always pushing us to do the next best thing, right? Do our best, but also one step further. And so she had been telling me, you need to be conscious of how long you stay and and are you ready to leave? And I, I was never ready to leave until... I got uh, a recruitment like message on LinkedIn from NBC. And I, I honestly opened it and then I closed it immediately because I knew that if I responded, I was going to leave HBO and that's what happened. But I did wait a week. I said my prayers. I you know talked to my mentors and I was like, all right, I guess I should circle back to this. So it really happened fairly quickly, but HBO wasn't was becoming something else, you know, was growing into something else. And so that made it a little bit easier to leave. I think one of the like proudest moments, obviously, is the culmination of the Emma Bowen alumni reunion, because I think that just tied together so much of all of what we've been doing in media, all of us working in the same industry, bringing everybody together. It was just an awesome experience. I think that and and just realizing that there's always going to be our own little like employee resource group wherever I work. I at HBO there were a bunch of us as alums that used to get lunch together. I mean it's almost like maybe 10 or 12 of us at one point. We'd get like a monthly lunch, we'd hang out. And ironically when I got to Peacock and NBC, it was basically the same thing. Like I I now have realized that because we're all one thing, NBC Sports and CNBC and then the news affiliates we all work for the same place. So I feel like I have my own little secret ERG wherever I go, which is awesome. <laughs> Do you sometimes like, because of the pace that we navigate within the industry, when you graduate from the Emma Bowen Foundation program, it's an accelerated pace that whatever the top is that you thought is making it, we tend to make it quicker, right? Have you ever wondered like, am I really here? Yeah, all the time. I think that more comes from, well, you know what? Now it happens at work too. Working for Peacock, NBC's uh, streaming service has opened my eyes up to a world of media I didn't know existed. On HBO, we didn't have sports. We didn't have really live events. We didn't have ads. And so having all of those things through NBC and Peacock, I just didn't know what I didn't know. So the pace has definitely picked up in particular around just the world of possibility in this industry. And then on the Emma Bowen side, it's crazy because like two weeks ago, I got this email um, from one of our board members who works for Fox TV stations. And I ended up on a call with all of the GMs of Fox TV stations. And Jack Abernathy, who you guys interviewed um, last season was also on this call. And I, I remember texting one of my other Emma Bowen friends and I said, I'm in this call and I just can't believe it. And she said, girl, you're here now. <laughs> She's like, this is what you've been doing. This is what you've been working towards. And so it, it does continue to shock me. And like I said, I'm just grateful. <laughs> Shout out to your friend who sent you that text because sometimes it's hard for us to process our own process, but 
I'm glad she could remind you that you've arrived and that you should definitely be proud of where you are right now. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, that's usually my last question where I ask people, what was the moment where you said, wow, I've made it. But since we're kind of on that topic, I mean, can you just talk about what that feeling is? Because I, the reason why I ask is because I think it's crazy. I was actually doing a run earlier today and it just dawned on me. I turned 30 soon and I just feel personally like I'm at a point where like, I feel confident in the things that I'm doing, the conversations I'm able to have, the authority with which I'm able to hold certain conversations. But like my mindset is still like, no, you're still like young Marquise. You can't say certain things or do certain things. But like (laughs) when you come to the realization of like, no, 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 you're in this position now, you have this seat, you have to take the reins of it or it will pass. So like, what is that feeling been like even though maybe it was just recently but what does it feel like to feel like okay I'm arriving at what I've been working for and now I need to make it what I need to make it wow that's an interesting question so two weeks ago or now wow maybe it's a month ago at this point I won a peer nominated award at work and it was for uh, culture it was championing but it's, it was called the peacock for all award and it's around championing culture and diversity and raising awareness of voices that we may not be listening to. And I, I didn't, I knew that I was nominated because I got an email, but I had no idea that I would actually win this award. Right. And it was the payoff, I think for me, because you, a lot of times we do work, not just thankless work, but work that we don't necessarily think is going to be recognized on some large scale. And that's also not why we're doing it anyway. And to have a peer nominated award, like be a recipient of that, I was like, oh, not only am I working really hard, but it also matters and is being recognized by the people that I work with. And so I think that was also a moment in time for me because I I, I just didn't expect it at all. And what I've been doing has been because I believe in it so much. Also coming from Emma Bowen, just understanding where we all come from. It's like, okay, we don't necessarily just want the seat at the table. We want to create a table that we want to sit at. And so that for me was the sort of peak of, okay, this process is working and it ha- it's having a ripple effect on the people that I work with. How heavy does the responsibility of having a seat at the table weigh on you? Does it sometimes become an overwhelming experience, especially as we navigate this industry as minorities and with everything going on in the nation? Sometimes do you feel overwhelmed? How do you kind of take on the responsibility of having a seat and being at the table? I I think I always just kind of think if I'm not doing this work, who will speak for me? because we're all doing some work in some way. Every, everybody's working, right? It's, it's not, the question isn't, if I don't do this work, who else will do it? Because there are tons of people doing it, but it's also who will hear my voice. And so it can be overwhelming, but then I think about my leadership, right? People who make decisions for our company and for our well-being all the time. Do they know a 28-year-old Black woman? Have they ever heard from a 28-year-old Black woman? Have they ever been in the same room outside of work functions as a 28-year-old Black woman? And so I feel that it's not necessarily a choice if I want to create spaces that I want to be comfortable in. I have to 
continue the work with everyone else. So I, I think it's overwhelming, but it's also beneficial to myself and anyone else who is able to also benefit from having that, from me having that seat. Absolutely. And earlier, I was going to let it slide. You mentioned University of Virginia. I went to Syracuse, both two ACC schools, both happen to be colors, orange and blue. So I just want to know, how does it feel knowing that I went to the real orange and blue in Northern New York (laughs) and you went to the imposter in Virginia? You should have just let it slide. <laughs> I mean, um, y'all used to be in the Big East, didn't you? You weren't even an we ACC did. team. Yeah, we weren't. I mean, we weren't. But we came and we're we're trying to take it over. UVA is having a decent run right now. I'm not even gonna lie. I actually am most impressed right now with the number of UVA alum in the playoffs in the NBA playoffs. That's been my like my pride and joy to see who's in the playoffs. So funny. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, on a serious note, so now you got me thinking about conference. And I can remember you mentioned Sandra and I get so many fond memories of conference and, you know, how we were encouraged to speak up and walk to the mic. And for those listening, I'm sure you have different experiences. But I used to remember people shouting out their schools. And obviously we had a lot of HU, we had a lot of Syracuse, but not so many UVA, right? And I think that has a lot to do with not only the location, but also the rigor, right? I think UVA is known as right outside of the Ivy League, if anything. So I'm just curious, how did UVA shape who you are today for good or for not so good, maybe? Yeah, it's an awesome question. I don't often get asked about UVA, actually. I talk a lot about work and a lot about Emma Bowen, but I, I actually loved it. I know that especially post, I guess, 2017, Charlottesville, Tiki Torch UVA, right? The place was basically an oasis. And depending on who you were, and I know everybody didn't have the same experience. I think the things that I really learned from being there is that you always need someone who looks like you in your corner. Had an unofficial mentor and advisor in our dean of students at the time who was a black woman. And she just, she really was like the second Sandra or, you know, not second in rank, but the duplicate of that type of person that I had on on grounds. And then, I don't know, I was, went to engineering school. So yes, it was very rigorous, very tough. I was mostly surrounded by, you know, white males, which is what my beginning of my career at HBO looked like also. So I think I was definitely prepared to go into the workforce in that regard. But it just taught me so much about myself, what I'm comfortable with, who I actually am and wanted to be. And if I could look back, like 10 years ago to right now, I think that UVA 100% influenced me just by the work that I had to put in to, to graduate, experiencing racism, but having always experienced it as the only in most of my educational career. I went to all the schools I really attended. I was one of the only Black women in accelerated classes or in engineering classes, whatever it was. And so for my field in particular, I think that that prepared me because I knew that I still had to speak up. I could not be out outshined or overshadowed by my peers. And so I really had an awesome time. I, I miss Charlottesville. I am actually planning to like try and sneak a trip there sometime this summer. But I, I definitely think it helped me kind of figure out who I wanted to become. What would you say is the most challenging reality check moment you've had so far in your career where your concept of success didn't look necessarily like how you were experiencing it? But what was one reality moment where, you know, how you perceived success looked a little different? That's a tough question. 
I don't know if I can pinpoint a moment. What I will say is, I think we've all experienced this where you get to a certain point and people ask you what's next. And be that you graduate college and people ask you when you're getting a job, you get a job, people ask you when you're going back to grad school, you go to grad school, people ask you when you're getting married, whatever the case, right? And so I think there came a point where I knew that I couldn't settle. I don't really, I, I really don't know when that point was. Actually, I do, that's a lie. I remember after two years being in my job at HBO, I, I got very fed up, I guess. I just was like, I'm bored and I am doing a lot of work. I think that I should be compensated more, but I also can do this work pretty routinely. And so how do I get myself more out of this? And is this, is success the comfort? Is success being able to pay your bills? What does that really look like? And I realized now that then I was thinking about success needs to be that I'm learning more because now I feel more successful because I'm more I'm, I'm busier, but I'm also absorbing a lot more information. And so back then I ended up writing a job description and submitting it to my boss in HR and getting a promotion, which was awesome. But it also didn't fulfill the thing that I was looking for, which was that I needed more for my mind and more out of the role. And so the success I think then was like, oh, I got a job out of college and I'm free of school and I can live on my own. But then it became, all right, what are you really doing though? Like, what are you, how are you challenging yourself? And so now for me, the success is, all right, I'm successful in this job because I'm constantly learning and I'm doing new things. And so I'm sure, ask me in six months and I might have a different definition of success that I want to get to again. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things, a lot of the people we've talked to in the podcast, obviously, I think there are a few decades, all of our seniors. So some of them have retired. Some of them are maybe on the last leg of where they're at. But you're kind of on the flip side where you're in the first within the ten, first 10 years of working. So I just would want to know, like, what would you say is your ultimate goal? I mean, you went to school for engineering, as you said, you worked at HBO for five years and now you're at Peacock. Where do you see yourself in the next 20 years? Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this a lot. I've, I've been thinking about getting my master's. I've been thinking about if I want to stay in corporate. I've been thinking about all the work I do for nonprofits outside of corporate. I think in 20 years or you know even 10, I probably will be working more aligned with nonprofit work and some of the passions. My goal is to just kind of bridge the gap between what I'm doing with media and changing the face of media, right? And then helping people of color, helping students. I really have an affinity for like education. You know, I was a TA in college. I, I have that kind of running through my veins. My dad's actually a, a professor, but he's also going back to school, getting his PhD right now in education policy. His mother, my grandmother was a teacher. I just, I really have something that's pulling me by way of education. So I'm trying to figure out where that's kind of going to take me, but also how to marry what I'm doing right now in media plus the nonprofit work plus that. That's amazing. And I feel like Marquise delved into that with the program, with the class he taught at Syracuse this year. So I'm sure he can give you tips on how he managed that as well, right? Right. We need right. to shout that out real quick. I know you're interviewing me, but shout out to Marquise <laughs> and his ad, ad, comma, adjunct professor, if you will. 
Listen, listen. I mean, normally I would say chill, chill, but no, I'm gonna take all that. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We did it. We did it this year. Yeah, that was fire. I loved seeing, it. and that's what I'm saying. Like all of us are doing stuff. Like that was the coolest, by far, one of the cooler things I saw in the last like year, based on all the stuff that was going on. It's like who would have thought that you'd become an adjunct professor? So, Bruh, who would have thought? I mean, and it's funny because I mean, you go on Twitter enough and you see different memes and stuff. But one of the things that really just held on to me was the idea of like, I really want to come out of this better than I was. And I think the idea of just throwing yourself at any and all challenges and figuring out how to make it, that's what that was. I mean, because if anybody knows me, I mean, I'm a jokester, everything is fun and get some work done, but let's have some fun with it. So for me, that was just an opportunity to challenge myself to be serious, but also tell young people and show them a, a different side of media because obviously there's not a lot of us right you mentioned that hbo being one of the uh few black women i know naima similar circumstances and in, in, along her journey and of course for me black men in media are really few so to be able to do that was really great so i appreciate that yeah you know it's interesting you brought up uva earlier like we didn't even have a media like major or s- media studies program at uva until when I was leaving. Yeah, they were just starting to build it out. So, I mean, that tells you right there, media in general is not as, outside of like metropolitan areas, I guess, it's not as heavily studied. And then you're just weeding out, you know, people as you go by by not having it available. What would you say to the alumni community as we, all of us, try to build a stronger Emma Bowen Foundation community together? What are some tips you have or some visions you have in how the alumni community can go stronger. I love the alumni network events um, in California, and I'm hoping to see some of them pop back up as well. But what do you envision can happen with the alumni community? It's just this strong network of excellence in so many different fields. And we could just be so powerful if we bring all of our talents together. Kind of tell me about your imagination in really building something stronger. (laughs) Yeah, well, you guys don't know, but like these are the things that actually keep me up at night. I am always thinking about how we can be doing more things together. I'll drop one little nugget here. I don't want to say too much in general because I just feel like it's going to happen. But I envision really that we'll all be working for each other in our own media companies as in our own media companies, and then they will be corporate sponsors of Emma Bowen. So it'll literally be a cycle of, okay, Marquise has his own news outlet or organization and hires 10 alum, and then you hire an intern, you get obviously get the funding you need, you hire an intern, and that intern's an Emma Bowen fellow, and we're, you're a corporate sponsor of the organization. Because in reality, right, we're breeding all of these people who have so much media talent. And so what's to say that we don't have our own production companies or television studios and do things the way that we've learned how to do them and then feed that back into the organization. That's like, that's like the longest term dream I have, right? The short term dreams are everybody just tap in and come to the alumni reunion next year, or everybody attend an in-person event once a year, or everybody be employed. Everybody has a job they want. And those are things to me that are maybe short-term, but are also attainable. We have the resources, we have the access. It's just a matter of kind of connecting the dots and putting the rubber to the road around, okay, well, we have this open position and we know this person, or this person starting their own you know, production company and this person's looking for a job. So I think we're 
well on our way. I don't think I will ever stop trying to attain some of those things, whether I'm president of the Alumni Association or not. But I really do feel that there's so much power within our network. And we're just, we're really at the beginning. We're just getting started. That's, I, I'm still stuck on the fact that Emma Bowen keeps you up at night. So that's what you call <laughs> de- dedication. That's true dedication. So thank you so much for joining us, answering all of our questions, whether good or, or not so good, and, and really just engaging with us, being transparent and telling uh, the listeners how to engage, because that's what this is all about. Obviously, there's a finite amount of people who are able to be in the program at any one time. But I think the fact that there are hundreds of alumni all across not only the country, but the world, there's so many ways that each and every one of us can be involved. And like Naima mentioned, it was amazing to see the L.A. alumni conference. And I know it's going to come back bigger and stronger. I heard some tidbits of some possibilities, but I won't say nothing. And I think it's, it could just be really, really huge. So just want to thank you, Delia, for being our second guest for the second episode of the second season of the Emboldened Podcast. Delia McGee, join us next week for another informative episode as we continue highlighting and celebrating the Emma Bowen Foundation community. Thank you guys so much for having me. I want to just shout you both out really quick because we wouldn't have this podcast. This is a fully functioning and running podcast because of alums like you who are tapping in. And so when you think about ways to do it, find out what your niche is and then do that thing because we, who would have known we would have had a podcast. It came together in the most organic of ways. And now we're all using our well, we all, you guys are using your strengths to just build this archive of information and support of the organization. And so I really, I'm just appreciative coming from like an alum perspective, because this is something I never have to worry about. I know it's going to happen. I know you guys are going to execute and you guys are doing the things that I can't get others to do, which is be consistent. So shout out to y'all. <laughs> Appreciated. All of our jobs is to make Ebba Bowen proud, continue her legacy. And I'm glad we can all do our part. Thank you again so much for joining us and we can't wait for the next episode. 